Have you ever wondered why some young people choose to end their lives? Ever wondered who they are and who they left behind? Have you ever wanted to hear their stories? Would you like answers to these questions and many more? Welcome to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu. Her mission is to shine light on these young people, create awareness for, and educate the world on youth suicide. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Dr. Lulu and her guests. They are not a substitute for professional advice. If you are experiencing suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK or send a text to www.crisistextline.org. Now, here's Dr. Lulu. Hello and welcome back to Suicide Pages with Dr. Lulu, the podcast. How is everybody doing? Okay, good. So I heard you guys. Very good. Very, very good. Listen, I am so excited. You know, you know, I have ADHD anyway, and I'm naturally excited about today. I'm uber excited because I have a girl, a woman, a lady, a duck, who I think if there's any of my guests so far whose energy maybe approximates mine, it's her. Her name is Dr. Kavi. AKA Kavitra, I'm not even gonna say her last name, okay? Because I have respect for her family. So I'm just gonna <laughs> chill out right there. She's a psychiatrist and a physician, get this, physician marriage coach. Boom, I mean, who does that, right? This woman right here, she does that. She saves physician marriages. Where was she when I got divorced the first time? I don't know, but you know, things happen when they're supposed to. So without further ado, Dr. Kavi, welcome to the family. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited, so pumped, so stoked to be here. <laughs> yes, me too. I'm super stoked. So this is a good meeting because we actually kind of accidentally met on Facebook. She wrote a comment and of course I Facebook stalked her and then she was like, oh my God. Da, 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 da. And then I realized that we're already friends on Facebook. I'm like, wait, how are we already friends? And we haven't even like connected. So like I said, things happen when they're, when it's time for them to happen. So she's a psychiatrist. So you know we're going to be talking some super serious stuff, but there's only one way to deliver serious stuff with a light mood. So she's going to be talking about her own personal experiences with the dark side, okay? And of course her work that she does with as a psychiatrist with patients, but also with families struggling to save their marriage. And you and I know that divorce is one of those, one of the 10 factors that we, where we check off in ACEs that can predispose people to suicidal behavior. Let me tell you something. I've been there. I've done that. So I know this. So without further ado, Dr. Kavi, thank you so much for joining us. You're so welcome. It's good to be here. <laughs> so where do you want to start? I always ask people, do you want to start before your parents met when you were in kindergarten? Where do you want to start, ma'am? Um, in terms of sort of a life story, is that whatever we can do we can do your work we can do your life we can do your personal story we can do whatever is going to help people out there say hmm so i'm not alone gotcha okay then i would start way back <laughs> cool. um where does my story start okay let's see um 
I, well, we all have multiple threads of stories, right? Looking back, there's all these threads that in the moment, it doesn't seem like it's, it's, there's a pattern or there's any link. It seems very random. But looking back, I can say all these different threads sort of all over time entwined and created this stronger rope of resilience for me. But it took a long time. <laughs> it took a long time. So, um, so I was born in India. Uh, my parents, I think, I think I would start there because my parents, um, they had an arranged marriage. My mother was, uh, you know, my grandfather used to say she was sitting on my lap the day before the wedding and asking for candy. So she was 15 and a half. Wow. Yeah, she was a baby. I look at some of their photos even now, and she still has the teenage acne on her face. Oh my she looks God. literally terrified. She looks like a deer in headlights. Oh, that's um, so hard. It's funny you say that, and I don't, I don't mean to take anything from this movie at all, but believe it or not, there's a girl called Anisha in this here book. Yeah. She was a child bride. Oh, that's gosh. all I'm going to say. Wow. I need to read that book. Until you read it. Yes. Yes. I need to read that book. Gosh. I end well, but she was a child bride. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think many of these stories, you know, unfortunately don't end well because what else can you expect from a child who's barely, you know, understood their identity in the world. And now they have to take on this huge, it's hard enough to be married when you're in your 20s or 30s. So um, she gets married to this man that she has never met before, only seen, you know, I think she saw a passport size photo <laughs> before they met. Oh my God. Yeah. So my father is, was, was even then, he was a physician and uh, he still is, and he was 30 years old when they got married, 20, just past 29. You're joking. No, no. I, I used to say to my mom, you know, your, your age difference was your age. Like she was 15 and the age difference was 15. Exactly. You know what I mean? It was yes. like twice her, how long she had spent on this earth. But anyway, so they got married and they had a very tumultuous marriage. Um, my, my dad had a lot of trauma in his childhood, uh, extreme domestic violence, just hearing, I never witnessed his parents, but just hearing about it still makes my, my you know, arms raise, my hairs on my arms raise. So it was extreme domestic violence. He lost his oldest sibling to accidental pesticide poisoning. When he was like six or seven, yeah, they were day laborers out on the farm. They used to throw pesticide with their hands and he ended up eating organophosphates. Oh my God. Yes. Organophosphate poisoning. Exactly. Just, just died on the spot. You know, my dad says he remembers him foaming at the mouth and everything. And oh he my God. So this kid has been, I, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I can't even describe the trauma that my dad went through as a child actually sometimes i reach to that child and try to soothe him mm. that's where all the trauma started absolutely and we're just talking about aces of like for a second this is exactly right, right. I, that i just see you dr carvey i see you coming back for part two and part three because it's important for us to tell the stories and tell them 
with dignity for the characters in the story. Yes. Because this is not a life that anyone chooses. And if and when we start seeing the manifestations of said trauma as adults, we forget and um, judge the adults, forgetting that you said there's a child that needed to be soothed but never got the soothing and now is a traumatized adult. And how do traumatized adults act, you know? They only know what they've seen and experienced and absorbed. You know, um, so there was this child, uh, he had one other sibling who had Down syndrome and they didn't even know to name it until he went to med school. It's just so much like unbelievable amount of trauma coupled with extreme abject poverty. And so he, you know, sort of really claws himself out of this poverty and out of this childhood through education marries my mom. My mom has her own trauma. She's, you know, first of all, only 15. But her father, my grandfather, was an alcoholic, had, you know, had that going on, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff in her background as well. And so she gets, and she was the eldest of a bunch of cousins because my grandmother was the eldest of all of her siblings, right? So it was not just that she was in a way escaping her home and the chaos of our home. She also had to make it work, at least that was her perception. <laughs> she had to make this marriage work because that was the way out for the, other, for the other cousins and siblings coming behind her. Um, so that's kind of where that story starts. Wow, so, and I know you know this because you're a psychiatrist, I know you know about epigenetics and generational trauma. So. I don't even know if I want to touch your own generation yet because I got a glimpse of it and I don't want to do any spoiler alerts with the, the, the little write-up. So I know even for you, growing up trapped in a body that would not conform, yes. <laughs> welcome to my life. And that's, that's actually what connected me to your story. I was like, that's me. That was me at 16. That was me at 16. And um, that was me at 24. And that was me at... 39 and then that was me at 42 and I was like okay that's it I'm gonna marry who my body wants me to marry yes I was like that was me so we're gonna we're gonna like I said we're gonna continue with the stories I mean I know you have a personal contact with suicide in one of your parents so do you want to go there yet do you want to talk about just growing up for you like I said this could go so many levels and then of course there's your own work as a psychiatrist and then of course your current work as a coach so there are almost four facets here that we can yes yes and that's what i meant we could do part two three and four and that's fine absolutely um credit to each story each stage yes and that's what i meant when i said there was all these threads and looking back i was like where is all this leading everything seems disconnected and you know it never is the stories when we make sense of them it actually turns into you. (laughs) So, yeah. So if I was to, yeah, following this, this, this thread, so they get married and they have this tumultuous sort of relationship. And I was born into their, um, into their rocky foundation Mm -hmm. when my mother was 17. And, you know, my poor mom, she used to tell me later on that she would get so overwhelmed with my crying Hmm. that she would pinch me she couldn't tolerate my cry I mean she's a baby 
Were you colicky? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't know that people knew what colicky was back then. Yeah. You know? Um, and what if, if I do remember a few strands of stories about my childhood, people would say that I was a really easy baby, that um, my mom also used to say she had three children, two siblings after me, and that I, I was the easiest birth and easiest baby looking back. But she was also a baby yes. when I was born, right? And so she, she luckily we had a really good extended family. She had a really good extended family support. Really, I was raised by my grandma for, mm. for a lot of it because my sister followed right after. And so, you know, one of us would be my grandma and the other one with my mom and my mom trying to cook and clean a house at 17 and have kids. Yeah, it was, it was, I can only imagine her frame of mind. And my dad, you know, trying hard to pull an entire family now two families out of poverty hmm. and eventually they move here and there he gets more training they end up going to the uk i was maybe eight when i went with them to the uk um then we came back when i was maybe how old was i maybe 13 or 14 when we came back to india and right then was when my journey began. I was in eighth grade. I was going to say, welcome adolescence. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> adolescence hit me and my family mm. hard, you all. Mm. <laughs> I was so confused. I was mm. so confused by what I wanted to be, which was a good daughter. Daughter. I knew good. you were going to say that. I did. Right. I did that. I, I did the good daughter thing. I so I wanted to be. And I got married to Prince charming me too and uh, too. i did the good daughter i was like first child ace yes daughter right i'm gonna follow in my steps i'm going to be the daughter they can be proud of, proud of. yes i tried man i tried voice <laughs> <laughs> and you know i wish someone had reached over and said you being you is good it's great. It's good enough. Yeah. It's good enough. I wish someone had given me that message. And it's not because my parents didn't want to give me that message. They genuinely thought that if I didn't conform, I would have a hard life, that I was being deviant. They genuinely believed that, you know? And so anyway, eighth grade comes and I get caught writing a love letter to another girl in my class. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It was looking back oh geez i was also in a very strict christian convent school oh my god and the sisters did not take lightly this. Okay. oh my goodness ironically my wife went to a, a catholic convent yeah school. oh my god she and i will have a lot of stories yes. to <laughs> lord have mercy seriously Harvey. Ironically, can I, I just say, say for the record that I am sending you hugs right now? Oh, I'm sending you air you. hugs right now. For thank the um, and I'm a very emotional person. I cry a lot. I'm very easily. For that 13 year old, that that girl in eighth grade who wrote that note, I want to say. Thank you. That was me. Yes. Damn, I wish we could we could have known each other then, you know? I wanted to know one other person like me, just one. Well, 
I would have given an arm and a leg to meet one other person like I me. I know, I know. And, and I went to an all-girls high school, you know? <laughs> and so I was just there, like, I liked them, but I was like, okay, I just like them. And my dad said, no, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. I was like, okay, it's just a phase. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to believe it. I wanted to believe it. I remember even up until, even up until, I would say five to seven years ago, even up until seven years ago, I would say I had by then come to terms that I was gay. But I used to say even up until seven, eight years ago, I'm gay, but I wish I was straight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What I say because my son is gay is I tell people, I said, do you know, especially with this kind of homophobia in the world right now, do you know anyone that would choose this as a choice? Let me be this hated individual. Yeah. Yeah, who has to like, you know, have people stare at you, not be able to go to certain places. Like, is this something you choose? I know, you know, we are kindred spirits. I knew when I read that, I said, this is, this is it right here. We are kindred spirits. I mean, we could talk just even as friends. I used to just say, who do you know? It's just like, okay, when I tell people my age, they're like, what do you mean you're 50? I said, do you know any woman that increases her age? I mean, like, come on. Like, why would I tell you I'm 50 if I'm not 50? Same thing. Who do you know that will say, oh, I just want to be hated, ostracized, spat on, killed. Yeah. This is what I want. Yeah. No. Most of us, many of us, if we're not blessed to be born in a time and space that is safe, the rest of us spend a long time fighting it, fighting ourselves, hating on ourselves. Hating and then you're surprised that the trans, especially the trans youth, have the highest rate of suicide across the board. You're surprised. And right. of course, we're only talking about the youth. We don't know how many adults that are really... I, I just met a guy the other day and I was like, I know he's struggling to come out. I just know it. But I didn't say anything because he said to me, and I quote, I am the least gay man in the world. And I said, <laughs> and, I, and he said his ex-wife divorced him because... She tried to tell me that I'm gay, is what he said. And I'm like, yes, you are. But yeah. Um, yeah. You have to come to, you know, you have to traverse your own path, man. Yes. And sometimes I even say, it's okay if you don't want to call yourself this or that. Just allow yourself to be with all of your impulses. If you don't want to label it, you want to label it. You know, just allow yourself to be who you are with your impulses. It's okay to love all of that. If you don't want to give it a label yet, that's okay too. Because sometimes I think people, you know, we want to be put in boxes. Yes, no one wants to be. Yeah. And for a long time, I didn't know exactly which box I fit in in the LGBTQ community. And that stopped me. Until I was like, who cares? Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes, I mean, you know, and it's, uh, I, I'm so happy that I'm having this, because I think you're probably my first, my son was actually a guest on my podcast, okay, he's 21, and I, I volunteered him, and he fought it, he fought it, and he was like, mom, I was like, son, you're going to be a guest, and then he finally came on, and um, I could tell he didn't really want to do it, so I, I'm going to respect him, and let him tell me the day he's ready for me to, to um, publish his own episode. But in that episode, he, we, he told me about how he wasn't ready to be outed yet, and he was outed in middle school, and how 
for the first time in his life, he was actually suicidal, but I never knew about it. But yeah. I knew he was gay when he was 19 months old. And I, and I asked him and he said, later on, because he's like, yes, mom, but, but you know, I just, I didn't ask him until he was older, but, but I knew, but I never said anything because it's not my place to out, right. even as his mother. Yes. I loved him nonetheless, but he said he was outed in middle school and he hated that. And that was when and I, I, did, I was just finding out during my own interview of him. Wow. So wow. it's a journey that, you know, one is like, and, and now <laughs> I laugh about the fact that he came home when he was first year in college and he, was, he wanted his nails painted. And my wife and I gave him our box of nail polish. I love it. Because I was like, we're going to support you. And then he came back and I said, mom, you know, I don't think that's for me. That's exactly what I want parents to do. Exactly. Let your child pave their own way. Yes. <laughs> he was like, I don't think, I said, okay, <laughs> that's right too. No. Sometimes I want to I had killed myself saying, what do you mean you want to paint it? Within a month, the phase was over. Yeah. Simple. And my son loves me and I love my son. Yeah. And you know what, guys? It's just color. <laughs> it's just color, y'all. Like we don't need to lose it over color. This like, is why kids want to kill themselves. When they have this toxic environment at home, no one, they feel invisible, unappreciated, devalued, unvalidated. I mean, they just feel like, I don't count. Well, I have news for you, parents. Kids do not grow up to be like their parents. They grow up to be like themselves. So leave them be, you know, kids, teens, especially speak teen. They don't speak adult. So don't speak adult to them. You know, allow them. You remember when you were a teenager, how you felt, you wanted your parents to just see you for who you are. That's exactly what your kid's going through right now. And Dr. Kavi is trying to tell us that she was just as trapped in a body where she was like, but I like girls, but I'm a girl, but yes. my, my society will kill me or whatever. Yes. You know? yes. You know, this thing reminds me of a quote. Um, when my daughter turned one, we, we have a 15 month old. When she turned one, um, I was looking for something that would really speak to how I saw her and what, what, I want to convey to her and I found this quote and it's exactly what I wish all parents would really absorb because I think when we strip away all these societal expectations and worry all parents actually have this at their core they just cover it up you know yes anyway so um this writer Mary Haskell she has this quote that says nothing you become will disappoint me amen right wow, I have that no is so powerful she says, I have no preconception that I'd like to see you be or do. I have no desire to foresee you, only to discover you. Wow. You cannot disappoint me, my love. Wow. That is so powerful. I mean, I'm having serious case of goosebumps here just listening to you say those yes. words. I, I took the first line, nothing you become will disappoint me. Because I think what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to frame that because my son graduates from college in June. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that in, a, in a, a card or a plaque or something for him. Yes. Because I think that is the ultimate, ultimate re request, requirement or whatever that the parents will want of their child. Yes. Unfortunately, like you said, society, religion, yes. expectations, oh. yeah. all of these things now make us fake yeah. and hide 
and That's pretend right. and then we fake it until we make it and then yeah. all of a sudden the one child that you asked and begged and pleaded for god to give to you you turn against them because oh they're this or they're yeah. not that yeah mm. yeah so so true gosh wow so, so how did you come out of that how did you how did that <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it was, uh, notes. First of all, how did you come out of the note from sister Mary Clarence? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I gave sister some late reading, <laughs> late night reading with my notes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, it was, I mean, it was, it was sweet and sad and chaotic and I see looking back if I could have an image that portrays what was happening in my life it was like a bud trying 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 to come out of the earth wow <laughs> that is yeah. so picturesque I'm a very visual person I see that I see that and I've never thought about it that way it's almost like a a butterfly in a cocoon that just yeah. stuck in the cocoon just won't yes. break out of the chrysalis or whatever they call it wow right. that is so crazy. desperate to get out but didn't didn't really want to either because i really truly internalized that i was weird and wanted to shut down those things so there was a real um you know looking as a psychiatrist looking back i would use the word compartmentalization i really compartmentalized those parts of me i would write secret letters and then try to forget that i wrote them i would flirt but then i would also be the girl who tried to flirt with boys as well just to in my head even the score <laughs> yes just even the score you know yeah. I, I, and it's funny one of my friends i mean i just i think that was actually what made me just say you know what to heck with it i had this friend and i was just still my friend and i had the most intense and i probably still feel that way about her intense crush of all crushes on her I just <laughs> wanted to just be around her and just yes. touch her and just rub just feel her i don't know i just ugh. oh i feel you girl she I feel was, you. and on the other hand she was trying desperately to be happily married to her husband and her husband mm. was and she would cry and come to me and just cry and say oh he he just doesn't see me and how much pain she was in because he just doesn't love her enough and he wants to do this and he wants to do that i'm like Ah, so finally, after that, I was just like, you know, I, I won't live like this anymore. It was too much. I just had to stop myself from, I cut all communication with her. And every now and again, I'll call her phone just to hear her voice, even now, you know, because she's such a good person and she just deserves happiness. And I just felt like I could love her into happiness, you know, but yeah, she belonged to someone else, obviously. Yeah. That's yeah. how the cookie crumbles. <laughs> I know, right? And I think every, whether you're whatever sexual you are, you felt the intensity of a crush. Yes. You know what yeah. I mean? It's well, one of the most- I'm, I'm going through some, I feel like I'm the one that's being interviewed here. I'm, I haven't, <laughs> I've never voiced out those words before, ever, you know? I've just never really, um, I think I told my wife about it, but not, but not even, you know, I was just like in passing. Yeah. But wow, this is amazing, amazing. And again, of course, the, the, the podcast is about suicide because what we're discussing is those things that, those feelings that get hidden mm -hmm. and 
cause you to feel like, you know what, I'm just going to jump. Because they said secrets kill. Secrets kill. And talk saves lives. So if you could just open your mouth and just voice it out already. Phew. And then maybe act on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The first step is just kind of say it out loud. Acknowledge it in your heart Mm -hmm. and say to somebody, you know, one of the things that I do in my current work is when I, when we have a little shift with my patients or my clients, I say, go and say this to somebody in your life. Mm. Go and actually voice out that you just felt and experienced this shift. Make it real mm-hmm. out in the world. Put it out in the world. Mm-hmm. You know? And I wish, you know, uh, you know, we're talking about suicide and I'll, I'll touch on how I even came to be interviewed here, but um, and give you a hint and say, I wish my mom had had someone to voice her emotions to just because you know india is almost like nigeria right you guys i mean psychotherapy is like what what do you mean you're you're crazy yeah there's no (laughs) such thing there is there's a lot more options now i mean i wouldn't say a lot more but compared to when i grew up with zero now we have at least two or three people in this entire huge town yes (laughs) But when my mom was, when I was young and my parents were really struggling in their marriage, um, there was, I had never heard the term psychiatrist or psychotherapist, not at all. There was only mental asylum. Exactly. I was waiting for you to say that. I was going to say, yes, we have mental institutions for the really, really crazy. Yes. That are shackled to the wall. That's right. They were shackled. Uh, Yeah. So when I went to medical school in the 80s, the psychiatrist, when you finish your psychiatry, you're going straight to the asylum and you're there to do ECT on those people who over yeah. there. That's Forgetting right. Forgetting that you and I are just one bad word away from there. Oh my gosh. You are you hit the nail on the head there. I say that to my patients these days when they're like, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm sharing a lot of like, you know, weird stuff. And I'm like, dude, we are just this table away. From just because I have learned these things doesn't mean that I haven't sat where you are and that I won't again. You know, we're all human. Such a powerful interview. I love it. I love it. So, I mean, do you want to you want to go there yet? Are you ready to discuss that? Oh yes, I have. You know, I've been blessed over the last few years to have practice more and more talking about the story and it has healed me so it is healing me i would say every single day i feel a little bit more healed so this is actually an opportunity for my healing to share share my story so yes um, it's funny you said that before before you go it's funny you said that believe it or not one of the things that makes me be able to talk about it is because the more i talk about it the more i can talk about it people look at me like what what do you mean you were suicidal? Oh, I'm like, oh, you haven't been suicidal? Okay, good for you. Yeah. I don't mind talking about mine. You know, because yeah. it sets me free. I'm yes. done. It was a period in my life. It doesn't define me. If anything at all, it is building up my empathy. Like, I don't know what. Because now I can see That's it right. And I can recognize it in you. And That's right. Stuff like that. So Yes, when you disown a part of your history, then you end up disowning other people's part of their history that comes too close to what you are repressing in yourself, you know? Exactly. Um, Yeah, so I was, 
uh, probably 16, 17 in India, we go straight from high school to med school. Yeah, me too. Professional school, right? Yes, ma'am. So I'm writing my entrance exams. It's very, you know, very heavy. And there was a lot of backstory that happened leading up to that. But what actually sort of the culmination was my parents got into one of many verbal tussles, which, you know, we three as children had gotten used to Mm -hmm. uh, by then. So we didn't really, didn't really raise an eyebrow. They were yelling in their bedroom and we were just kind of like, I had, oh, actually, no, I had written my exams, gotten into med school and I was in med school in a different city and I'd come back for my first big vacation, six months into my first year of med school, the January 16th, actually, which is coming up. Um, and my mom and my dad got into this tussle, like I said, and the difference in that time was my mom had never actually, uh, she would cry, she would defend herself, but I'd never seen her get quote unquote violent ever before. But that day they came out of their rooms and my mom, I don't know what my dad said, what was said in that room, who knows, you know, I've never asked my dad, um, but she threw uh, or tried to throw and came very close to hitting him with an armchair in our living room. That armchair is freaking heavy. I I don't know how she and did somehow it. somehow she was able to lift it. That's yeah. the amount of rage she had. That's the amount of rage yes. she had. Yes. I still remember, you know, as those of us who've been traumatized, we can see it as if it's unfolding in front of us, right? Mm-hmm. I still see the, the sari she was wearing, the the light of late afternoon light coming into the Mm. room. Yeah. So she was livid and I don't Mm. know why, but I remember she said to my dad, if you leave, no, no. She said to my brother, my poor, poor darling brother, who was seven years old at that time, he was about to leave with my dad because my dad is a surgeon was going to go. It's a Sunday. He's going to go check up on his post-op patients. And he, my brother was going to go with him. And my mom looks at my seven-year-old brother and says, if you leave, you won't see me alive when you come back. Wow. My poor brother. God, how we hurt our children without knowing it, you know? Oh, my goodness. And, and that's what happened. She, and she got into a rageful fit with my sister. And I run to try to soothe my sister in her room. We come out. And my mom is drinking pesticide organophosphates oh my god i saw her take the last sip what yeah i saw her take the last sip yeah she came out with a mug and she said kanu which means darling to me and she says kanu i did it almost like you know looking back i would say it's almost like Oh, I've been, I've been trying to do it all this time and I couldn't. And look, I did it. Hmm. You know, and yeah. Jeez. Oh gosh. It was just, it was just horrible, horrible. Hmm. Um, raining that day. It's a national holiday. It's um, oh what we call Pongal. In uh, back home, Pongal is our new year, actually, ironically. And so none of our neighbors are there. It's coming down hard. We don't have cell phones. I don't have a car. I don't know how to drive a car anyway. 
I run in the rain to neighbor's house, can't find them. I'm calling people. No one's picking up because people have left to their hometowns to celebrate. Mm. Couldn't get a hold of my dad. And the worst part, even today, I would, the worst part for me is I didn't know any better. And I thought she peed out. So I had her drink water. Well, so I know sometimes the coach needs a coach. You do know that that had nothing to do in the grand scheme of things in a mug of pesticide. Yes, you're right. Pesticide that takes one teaspoon is the lethal dose. Yeah. You know, know, I don't care what you gave her. Now, now, please, oh my God, I want this to come out the way I want it to come out. It doesn't matter what you did. Please know that you need to set that 16-year-old girl free from that because that 16-year-old girl is not free yet. There's not a whole lot you could have done. I was 16 when I went into med school because it's the same British system. You go from high yeah. school to med school. Yes. I know that I did not know anything in my first year of medical school. I'm not mm-hmm. a doctor. I have five years of med school. So I, yes. I know I didn't know anything. I was doing basic sciences. Yeah. I would have done the same thing, period. So please know that give her water, give her milk, give her sugar, give her oil. Nothing you could have done at that point. And this is what I, what I tell my patients and my patients' parents. I said, yes. I see only high-risk suicidal teenagers, but I cannot stop someone who wants to kill themselves. Let's face it, you cannot underestimate the power of determination. If somebody is determined to do something, you really honestly cannot. Your job is to hopefully see the signs way before that. So please, baby girl, let that 16-year-old go because there's nothing you could have done. A mug of anything. Yeah which takes teaspoon to get the job done. She knew what she was doing and she's just resting peace, but she also didn't want you to save her. She would have called you before she opened the bottle if she wanted to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I think at best she was ambivalent and she wanted both. She wanted to be, she wanted that moment to be over, that phase of her life to that be over. That pain to stop, that yes. Pain to stop, and I've been there. I've been there. I know how that feels. Like you would do anything for that pain to stop. It's that intolerable, right? Um, anyway, so we run around. I run all the way to the main road, which is like 10 minutes of sprinting in the rain to get one of those auto rickshaw guys to come back with me. And by then, a family friend calls back. Long story short, I really thought my mom had done something silly and we'd be done with this in another Yeah, call. she'll be, yeah. You know? So we go to the hospital and two hours later, that's that. Pronounced dead. Pronounced dead. I'll tell you what, in the interest of time, because um, this is obviously not the end. But I think it's a good place to stop only because of time. Absolutely. So, Dr. Covey, thank you for gracing our pages. Thank you for writing on our pages. Thank you for coming and sharing this mammoth, this beast of a story because... I cannot wait for your bestseller. And I think I might have written that on that Facebook page. When are you writing the book? You did say that. I did, right? Yeah, you did. <laughs> this, is, this is a book that's waiting to be written. 
thank you so much. It's a four, it's a four volume book because there's four levels to it and um, it's going to happen. So I'm going to stop there because I can, <laughs> but also <laughs> because I have a 10 o'clock. Um, yes. So yes. we're going to see you back. You know, the link is the same. Okay. Just make another appointment, but I, for, for one second, I'm going to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to me, you know that this has been a good day. Dr. Covey has come here and showed us how vulnerable we all are in the end, how we all need each other in the end, and how sometimes as a parent, you might say something you don't really necessarily, I wouldn't say mean it to your seven-year-old, but that seven-year-old is never going to forget it. Yes. Well, have I done that? Probably. If you're a mother, you have, been, you have been pushed to that level. It's a real thing. Yes. So please let us be careful what we say, what we do, how we act around our kids. No one is perfect. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for just living every day the best way that we can. So yes. Dr. Kavi, thank you so much for coming. I won't let you go without letting us know where we can find you, the guests, um, the, the listeners can find you. And of course, for now, just some parting words. For now, you've given us a bunch. <laughs> but we'll just take, we'll take a couple more if you have any, and then we'll come back and do part two. Absolutely. I can't wait to come back and chat. So um, parting words, I would say two things come to mind. One, if you are you know, a teenager or an adult listening to this any time in your lifetime and you are in a dark place, I want you to know, even if it feels like nobody freaking cares, somebody does. Somebody's life will be devastated. It may be your child, it may be your parent, it may be your sibling, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, maybe somebody who has a crush on you that you don't know about, it may be your pet. Somebody's life is going to be devastated without you. There's nothing that can fill your shape whole in this universe. So keep that in mind. And the second thing I would say is, and I say this to my clients all the time, yes, it's not about perfection. No, none of us can be perfect, nor do we want to be. Imperfection is the beauty of life. Exactly. What you can do is open line of communication with those that you love and repair, repair what you can. Now, today, if there's somebody that you can reach out to and repair a word that was said or wasn't said that you'd like to, do it now. Do it now. Wow. So powerful. Open lines of communication with others now. Not later, now. You make, it makes a huge difference. Thank you so much. Where can we find you? Are you I know you're on Facebook, but... Yes, I'm on Facebook. Website my website is www.drkavetha. S is in Sam, U, N is in Nancy, all one word, Kavita Sun, drkavitasun.com. That's my website. You can um, come over there, check us out. There's lots of articles there. And if you need more help or want to just talk, there's a form there that you can reach out with and I'd be glad to help in any way I can. All right. Well, we might be signing up, like I said, <laughs> but thank I you so that. much. It was thank a you. pleasure. Hanging it really was. You. you are you are my soul sister. Man. I know, for real. I'm. I'm. It's. It's. It's already settled. 
Yes. You're my Indian soul sister because I found, I found my white soul sister. And I was like, what? <laughs> she actually likes plantains. Is that serious? And I was like, okay, wow. cool. it's real. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you, Thank you so me. much, sister girls. Thank you so much. Namaste. Namaste to you. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye.